How far are we willing to go to keep ourselves part of our community before we part from it? They say every relationship should be equal parts give and take. The Arnold Park District of Midwest Suburbia couldn't agree more. Let us enter the happy hamlet and see for ourselves what it means to give for your community. School is uninspiring today. The sophomore math class is more dull than anything, but outside, a quiet stillness is in the air. Jessica Abernathy gazes out the window of the classroom and peers into the dead void of late fall. Autumn is long past. The winter is here, yet the concrete outside is exposed. The leaves have long rotted away, leaving their skeletons behind. But on this early December day, as she struggles to focus in class, the first snow arrived. It's snowing! The teacher stopped talking, and everyone giggled quietly to themselves. <laughs> Children, pay attention! Jess feels embarrassed, but is still giddy about the snow. Finally! It's going to be beautiful again. I hope Mark is just as excited as I am. Jess looks up to her brother very proudly. Mark is turning 18 tomorrow. She's nervous for him, but at least she got to see Mark do it first. Mom and Dad always say going through the ripening wasn't that bad, but they turned 18 so long ago. Could they even remember how it felt? She didn't know, but it didn't matter. The lunch bell rings, and everyone rushes out of the classrooms and into the hallways, where hundreds of sneakers squeak against the polished linoleum. There he is. Hey, Mark! Did you see the snow? Hey, you too! A teacher from a different class calls out to them. She teaches some of the younger grades and rarely talks to Jess and Mark. Really quick. Have you seen Tess or Nikki today? They're never absent. Tess and Nikki were Jess's younger cousins. And the teacher's right. They're never absent at least not unexpectedly. They tell the teacher they don't know anything, and she brushes it off. Well, that's odd, right? Yeah, but maybe Aunt Jean? He pauses, unable to formulate an excuse. We couldn't both be sick, right? I hope not. We just saw them yesterday at the temple. Yeah, they didn't seem sick. Oh, did you see the snow? Oh yeah, I almost forgot. It's gonna be such perfect hot chocolate weather. After school, they walk home together like always, only this time, the grass is peppered with pure snow. Jess loves the quietness in the air when a fresh layer of snow covers the ground. It was tranquil. It isn't colder than it had been in weeks, but suddenly a chill hits Jess hard. She stops. The air feels wrong, like she's alone. You okay? Hey, Jess. Hey. Oh. Sorry. Uh, I... Uh, the chill in the air intensifies. I, Jess tries to breathe, but she can't. Everything around seems slow. Until time stops. She can't even panic. The only thing she can do is watch the worrying look on Mark's face 
The feeling prolongs for an eternity before she realizes they were standing in the graveyard. The graveyard's about halfway home, but something's very wrong. The kind of wrong that is purged from memory as the event regresses deep within the brain. She has no explanation for Mark other than she feels cold. She tries to shake it off, knowing she'd be home soon, and she can relax before her mom and dad get home from the temple. After a few blocks, they saw their house, but the sight of it did not bring comfort. Mom and dad are already home. They're almost never home before dark. Even Mark is concerned, so they stand at the end of the driveway for a few minutes. Have they ever been home early? I don't think so. The silence is a ripening brown spot on a banana. Nevertheless, they proceed. The pit in Jess's stomach is colic. The door is open. They could hear their parents through the screen door. They are upset, but Jess can't make out what they're saying. Their voices stop when they walk in. Kids, come in here. There's something we need to discuss. They're in the kitchen. Jess hears them quietly discuss something. She only hears the words from her mother. I can't accept this. I cannot accept this. The rest is hushed by her father as they step into the kitchen. His face is usually unreadable, strong and stern. But clearly he had been crying. Mom is trying her best not to let the kids see her face. She takes a towel and wipes the tears from her eyes. Jess already feels the welling of her own eyes. She reaches for her daughter and hugs her tight. Grandpa Joey passed away last night. It's a painful moment for everyone. It isn't unexpected, like Maggie, Jess and Mark's grandmother. She died last year in a car accident, but Joey had been ill for several years. It was well known he didn't have long. I thought the doctor said he had a year left. Well, they said months to a year, and that was five years ago. He was doing well. But since Ma died, uh, it hasn't been the same. Uh, he, he took it really hard. But he seemed okay. He wasn't even in a nursing home yet. He hid it well. He always wanted to be strong for his family, especially for you guys. <laughs> They all have a long reunion and decide to treat themselves for dinner at their favorite restaurant. The whole time, Jess wonders why Mom and Dad are so particular about this. When Grandma Maggie passed, no one came home early. Mom cried. Her own mother was gone, after all. But not like how she does today. And they certainly didn't take Jess and Mark out for dinner. It will never escape her, the look on her mother's face, like she's losing her own children. It's haunting, if not terrifying. They don't go home after the dinner, though. Instead, they drive to their grandparents' house while it's still daylight. Dad says they have to go through everything in the house to see if there's anything for them. Otherwise, all their belongings will be claimed by the temple and sold. Mark and Jess are alone in one of the spare bedrooms when they finally get a chance to talk without the filter that teens use in front of their parents. What are we supposed to be looking for again? I don't know. Anything that looks like it might be ours. 
This is just a room full of old papers and stuff. Jess throws down a stack of old calendars on a tower of papers. She thinks they could balance there, but slowly, it starts leaning. Hey, don't... Whoops. Well, pick all that up. As she sorts the papers, she thinks about everything that happened today. Hey, Mark. Yeah? Why did Mom react like that? Mark looks at the door suspiciously. I mean, I get that Grandpa died and all, but she was definitely not that upset when Grandma Maggie died. You saw the look on her face, and she couldn't even look me in the eye the whole night. And the way she hugged me. Jess relives the moment, and for a second, the feeling lurches into her again, like a warning. It felt like a goodbye hug. Just as she relives the moment, a unique parchment catches her eye. A small corner of the leather-bound book peeks from underneath the stack of papers. As she brushes the last of the mess away, she sees the gold letters, hand-sewn into the cover. Joseph M. Salamence. She picks it up and the dust smears away in clumps. Is that Grandpa? Yeah. Jess can't help herself but flip through the entirety of the book. It is completely filled with pencil-marked entries. This is... his diary? They look at each other, then at the book. Should we read it? Mark! She is shocked at first, but she can't resist. She opens it to the first page. There is only one line. Obey or die. What does that mean? I heard the elders say it once. I think it's one of the old temple phrases. Jess flips to the first diary entry and sees the date. June 4th, 1959. Wait, this is from when Grandpa was a kid. Wasn't writing pretty much banned in the temple until, like, the 80s? I don't know. Read it before Mom and Dad come check up on us. June 4th, 1959. I saw saw Maggie Maggie again again today. today. She She sat sat three rows ahead. Pretty sure everyone knows I fancy her. I sure hope not or Brother Dom will give me lashings again. I still can't believe Hannah doesn't care. She hasn't even written her vows yet. I've had mine for weeks. My 18th birthday is on Thursday. Then she isn't ready. Cody and Adam both saw their maid's vows. Adam even caught a peek of her wedding dress, lucky bastard. Anywho, wish I could at least say hi to Maggie. She brought a guitar to school last week, and she's amazing. I didn't even know she could play. That's so cool. Even though it really isn't allowed. She's all I think about sometimes. Hannah's all right, I guess. Just hope she gets her act together before the wedding. I told her not to worry. We'll have the rest of our lives to figure this out. Joey Saul. The entry isn't long, but they both stop after reading it. Something isn't right. That was... Weird. That was so weird. Grandpa was supposed to marry someone who wasn't Grandma? But Grandma Maggie is who he's talking about, right? So who's Hannah? They're coming. Hey. Mark. We'd like to talk. They leave. But Dad stays behind. 
Jessica, did you guys find anything worth keeping? Nothing interesting. Dad looks at the stack of papers that fell in Jess's attempt to sweep it up. Just a bunch of old papers in this room. Those books you're sitting on are quite old, I think. Uh, be careful not to ruin them. Oh, do we need those? He shakes his head. Yeah, the temple can sort through those. And everything else in this room. There's a long pause. Dad stands there awkwardly with his arms crossed. Hey, kiddo. Your mom and I just want you to know we're here for you. Thanks, Dad. Then, Jess's dad held out his hand with a familiar gesture. Bag check. Jess grabs her purse from behind her and hands it to him. He opens it and thoroughly rifles through it. When he is satisfied his daughter isn't hiding anything, he gives it back. When he finally leaves, Jess gets the diary from the stack of books she sat on. The urge to continue reading was agonizingly heartaching, but she had to wait. The ride home is quiet. Jess and Mark sit in the back, unable to talk. She leans over to whisper something, but he doesn't want to hear it. But his face, it looks different. What did mom tell him? Is he nervous for tomorrow? She wishes she knew. The night has fallen and Jess lies in bed, unable to sleep. It's after midnight now, and she isn't even tired. Out of frustration, she turns on the bedside light and grabs the diary from her purse. <gasps> it's me. Oh, thank the elders. She lets him in, and quietly, they talk. Did you read more? Not without you, dum-dum. Shut up, shorty. So what did mom tell you earlier? His eyes gloss over. She just told me to prepare for tomorrow on... Not too worried. Well, you sound confident. Happy birthday, by the way. Just read the dang book. Sheesh, all right. Jess opens to the second diary entry, her fingers flipping through a lifetime of stories. She wishes she could read them all at once. June 6th, 1959. Dear Diary, Jess reads through what seemed like a normal day for her grandpa. And I guess that's all that happened today. Joey saw. Well, yesterday Hannah was... She seemed off, to say the truth. Normally she would smile at least, but yesterday she couldn't even look me in the eye. I should talk with the sisters and see if she's okay. I'm not too worried. We are getting married tomorrow, and I'm so excited. And partially agitated, to tell you the truth. I'm going to miss talking to Maggie. She really does seem to like me, too. Even the cashier seems to think we're going steady. Anyway, I shouldn't think about her anymore. It'll just make me sad. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with Hannah. With Hannah. With Maggie. Hannah. I'll get used to it. It'll be okay. It will. Jess and Mark look at each other confused. They don't know how to process what they've read. That was weird, right? She hopes Mark has some insight, but he gazes in the distance. There's a silent qualm 
in the air. Grandpa was supposed to marry someone else. Hannah. So who is that? Jess was trying to piece this together. She wonders why they even started reading it in the first place. Why does... Hmm? Why does he get married on his ripening day? I didn't know we used to do... Or... You don't think we still do that? Oh, what if there's a bride picked out for you? No, absolutely not. Mom and Dad would have told me. You don't think Mom and Dad were an arranged marriage? No. I don't know. Jess reads the entry a couple more times, but it still doesn't make sense. Something is off about how he wrote it. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like Grandpa. An uncomfortable urge to flee numbs her fingers. She recalls the last time she saw him before he got too sick. He was still living at home, and his mental state was only starting to decline. Hey, kiddo. Jess was younger. She smiled as she ran to hug him. Grandpa Joe was always smiling, even with the oxygen tubes in his nose. My, you're getting big. I'm 13, Grandpa. I think I stopped growing by now. Don't count on it. All right now, Jessica. It's time to let Grandpa get some rest. Jess reluctantly went into the kitchen, but through the sliding glass door she could hear her mother's tone. Dad, you can't. With Jessica, when you're going to... Are you even taking your... Hope you know that. Jess remembers looking at her mother out the corner of her eyes. Somewhere, deep in her memory, is the regressed words of her mother, begging her father for something. She wiped the smile from his face, and Jess remembers being very angry at her mother for that. How could she intentionally make Grandpa sad? Jess realizes something. The day of that interaction, it was Grandma's birthday. Mark, when was Grandma Maggie's birthday? Um, why? Just tell me. I've got a bad feeling. Um, I think Grandma's birthday was exactly a month before Dad's. August 25th. Jess flips through the diary until she gets to that date when she was 13. She's shocked at how many entries there were. Every page she flips is an entire day. She flips through Joey's entire life until she finally gets to the date she needs. She skims through a couple of regular entries and finds the one written with a shaky hand. What is that? August 27, 2004. Just waved the kids off. Mark and Jess seem like they're all right. I hope they had a good time while they were in town. I do love it when they take time to visit, especially since Mag's passed. I can't believe I'm about to actually write this. It's been years, but wow. I don't really know how to do this. I need to get my feelings out, though. I go to Temple every day, just like me and Mags did. I've known for years they forbid these kinds of writings, as to prevent non-followers from seeing our practices. I've always felt guilty, but, you know, to tell the truth, it's, uh, as this diary has helped me cope, you know. With the loss of my beloved, it's a place where my thoughts may stay in this world when I'm gone. And it's strangely comforting to know this will live on. I know the doctors don't think I'll make it another few years, but 
Little Jess is counting on me. I am a patriarch to her and her cousins. And if I perish, the temple will claim them in the name of heaven. It was painful to write, but I must accept the fact. There is nothing anyone can do to stop the temple. If there was, it would have been done by now. We may not be able to openly promote these ideologies anymore, but that does not stop them from being spread through the temple followers. And I think I started to realize the temple isn't true after I started writing this diary. Something about seeing our practices written down makes it seem so obvious that it is false. The truth is that no one knows what happens after we die. Every religion has an explanation, but no one has actually come back to tell us definitely what happens. Could be anything, really. But who cares? I don't want the temple to continue these dark sexist practices anymore. I hate them. I've seen so many little girls sacrificed in the name of their fallen patriarch. And for what? To guarantee them a spot in heaven? This ritual is so buried in secrecy no one knows how it started. And we're supposed to just follow it blindly? I should stop. If these thoughts were exposed, they'd probably take my whole family away and let me die in anguish. But no, I will persevere. I will live for my granddaughters who don't have a chance. I wish I could tell them. I wish I could give them a chance to escape. If only, only they, they could, could see this. this. With, With love, love Joey. Joey. They set the diary down. Jess couldn't breathe. Her throat constricts with a dreadful anxiety, gasping for air. She reaches for her inhaler and takes a puff. Mark is trying to calm her down, but she can't stop hyperventilating. Oh, God. Oh, elders. Oh, elders. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. No, it's okay that you're not going to die. That can't be true. Think about it, Mark. Think about it. Why do you think we didn't see Tess and Nikki at school? They were his granddaughters, too. I'm next. They're coming. It's okay. They don't know we know, okay? Just stay put and pretend everything's okay. Mark opens the door, and Mom and Dad are standing right outside. What are you doing? She's asleep. I thought I left my homework here. They seem to have bought it. Jess is under the covers, fighting the urge to tremble and cry. She peeks out from under the blanket and sees Mom and Dad. They're in their temple robes. She can't make out what they're saying, but they take Mark and shut the door. It is time. She listens as the three of them walk out the front door and start the car. They drove off into the night. Jess is worried about her brother, but they wouldn't kill him. He was a boy. Somehow killing Jess is okay in the eyes of the temple, just because she's a girl. Jess is suddenly hit by a sharp anxiety. The same feeling she had passing through the graveyard after school. She realizes why she had a panic attack then. Because on the fresh tombstone, she saw her cousin's names. On the tombstone next to it was her own name. Jessica Abernathy. In the same breath, she realized her parents were talking about how quickly Tess and Nikki were sacrificed. Her parents knew. They knew for years that if Grandpa Joey passed, this would be the result. Jess's mind goes numb. She can't believe what's happening. Her whole life, 
The temple has been held in high regard even by outsiders, or so she thought. Could she really believe anything they say now, if they had been hiding something so horrible for so long? She sat up in her bed, the clock inching closer to 1 a.m. She thinks about leaving, leaving the only world she knew. Soon they would come for her, and she would join her cousins in the ground. Or she'll pack some clothes in her school bag and walk out the door. As she stands, the weight of the temple crushes her spirit. The thought of disobeying the ultimate authority is an impending force upon her heart. She can't move. The hesitation brings tears. The tears don't stop. Jess has never felt so alone. She looks out the window. The snow has intensified. The streetlights dotting the sidewalk as heavy snowflakes rush past almost horizontally. She looks back into her warm room and really doesn't want to leave, but the diary sits open on her bed. Someone has to see this. From the outside. Someone has to know the truth. The most destructive practices do seem to have a way of making themselves unsustainable. In the meantime, you can find tonight's entry on a shelf in the autobiographical wing of the Creepy Quadrant. <laughs> <laughs>